Welcome to episode 83 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This podcast is with the head of team and individual fitness with Belgium, Richard Evans and Russell Hitchin, who's a lecturer in sports medicine at UCLan, but also a physiotherapist at Manchester United Academy. But more importantly, they both work together at Wigan Athletic when Wigan lifted the FA Cup in 2013. And as a Wigan fan, this is a completely biased episode um, where we talk about all aspects of the FA Cup win. So we, we also touch on the career journeys of Richard and Russell. Um, so Richard going into international football and the challenges he faces in that role. And then Russell going into part-time academy football, but also lecturing as well. And some of the skills that cross over between his previous roles and um, his current role as a lecturer. We talk about running a well-functional, um, a well-functioning department. But the big thing about this episode is that we don't only discuss it, we get some real practical examples of how well um, the department worked at Wigan. We touch on working with Roberto Martinez, so I'm sure a lot of people will be aware of Roberto Martinez's philosophy or, or a general idea on his philosophy and his style of play. So we, I talked to the lads about their biggest takeaways working closely with Roberto. And then the big part of the podcast is the case study. So we touched on a case study with what was eventually um, the cup winning goal scorer, Ben Watson, who was injured in the season and came back for the final. So we went into detail on what that journey looked like for Ben, but also for uh, Russell and Richard as well, and some of the challenges they faced along the way. And a complete fluke of timing this week, um, this episode actually is released seven years um, on the day from the 2013 FA Cup final, so a complete fluke there, Um, but I could try and claim that it was planned, but it definitely wasn't. Um, I just had the podcast ready to go out this morning and then check the date and realised it was seven years to the day. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I think there's loads of takeaways for it um, from this episode as well. I think that the sort of practical examples that the lads give and the two different viewpoints as well across the same journey uh, with one, one hell of an outcome at the end of it, it was really great to hear. So I'd like to hear what you guys take from it as well. Um, It'd be great for you, to, for you to reach out and let us know what you think of the episode. So as always, get in touch. You can tag us on Twitter at FootballFitFed or on Instagram at FootballFitFed or drop us an email, mail at FootballFitFed.com. And as always, please share the show with as many people as possible. Um, like I said, there's loads of great information in this one and um, please get it out to anyone that might be interested in hearing the journey of both Russell and Richard and um, the journey to win in the FA Cup as well so hope you enjoy the episode and here it is welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast this is episode 83 I'm delighted today to be joined by two guests we've got Richard Evans the head of team and individual fitness with Belgium and also Russell Hitchin the lecturer in sports medicine at UCLan University, but also physiotherapist at Manchester United Academy. So, lads, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for inviting us. It's a great pleasure, Ben. Absolute pleasure. 
It's great to have you both on and we'll uh, we'll try and direct the conversation as best as we can with the three of us. We have got a little lag on the uh, on the signal right now, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, but just start us off. Let's start with Richard. I've just mentioned your current role, um, what you're doing, and we just we just said then that you've come under many different titles, but we'll use your official one there. Well, just talk us through your career so far, where you've been, and um, yeah, the, the roles that you've had. Well, how long do you want? Because um, in reflection and preparing for this podcast, I think I go back 21 seasons. So uh, my first um, encounter with uh, working as a member of staff was at Swansea City uh, in 1998, 1999. I was coming to the end of my sports science degree at Loughborough. And I said to my wife at the time, it must have been about April, uh, coming into the final stages, preparing for the, the exams. And I said to my wife, I don't know what I'm going to do after this. At the moment, it all looks as if I'm going to become a fitness coach in a, in a gym somewhere, or I might have to do an extra year to become a PE teacher. So I don't really know what I'm going to do. And then a phone call out of the blue, um, a chap that I met on the treatment and management of injuries course at the FA at Lillishaw, um, recommended me to John Hollins, the manager of Swansea City at the time. So I did the treatment of management injuries and that link enabled the phone call to come through to me. And then the question was, do I want to become the sports therapist at Swansea City? So not knowing too much about uh, the role at the time, I dived straight in. And whilst I was finishing my finals at Loughborough, I was running on the pitch for Swansea City at the end of that 1998-1999 season. So it was uh, out of the frying pan and into the into the fire really it was um, an amazing experience you know obviously to go from student life to running on the pitch on the Saturday afternoon as a sports therapist it was uh, quite daunting at first but obviously settled in quite nicely I'm still here to tell the tale Awesome and then where did you go from there Richard where did the where did your career take you from there well, I was there for 10 years, um, which was most probably what I call the learning years, really, because I had 10 years where initially in those days, the, um, the staff were basically made up of a manager, assistant manager, and a dog's body that was the physiotherapist, the sports scientist, the nutritionist, the kit man, uh, the warm-up man, and everything else. So that was my role, really. And then I had five years of you know, working in a squad at the bottom end of the uh, the second division or the third division then with a aging squad. Uh, not many players wanted to come and play for Swansea City at the time, obviously playing in the old uh, Vetchfield uh, Stadium. Uh, so it was, um, it was hard work, basically, because I had to look after all those players from first team reserves and a youth team for myself uh, for five years, basically, and I had the help of two unbelievable general practitioners that came in at part-time. So those five years, I was basically running on the pitch, taking the players off, taking them to the MRI scanner, uh, which was the closest one was in Cardiff. Then if they needed to uh, go on to see any further intervention, I'd have to take them up to London or Bristol for, uh, to see a consultant. So I basically took them off the pitch, guide them through the initial stages of the injury, and then obviously had to do the return to play with them and then get them back on the pitch again. So, and such a small squad with very limited resources, you know, I learned very quickly that, you know, everything had to be perfect for them with limited resources. So I didn't want them to come back out of the squad because we couldn't afford it. And then that would also mean that then I would basically uh, have more work. So I had to make sure I perfected, you know, the diagnosis, 
the basic the subacute phases, the return to play, and then the, the functional rehab to get them back into you know coping with the demands of playing. So those five years were I think very critical in, in my career and an understanding of the how physiotherapy and sports science marry very well together. Russ, do you want to just take us through your career so far? So where, where you started out and um, where you've been? Yeah, so um, I started off doing my physio degree at Salford Uni on a, on a part-time basis. And I was playing non-league at the time. Uh, I was playing at Hinkley and then uh, Vauxhall Motors. And I was coming to last year in my degree and I realised that I needed to get some experience because it's a competitive field to get into really kind of sports physio. Um, so I got a call from the Fleetwood manager at the time and said the physio had just left. He knew I was coming to the end of my uh, degree. Did I fancy um, being Fleetwood's physio? So they were in the conference north at the time. Um, so I was doing that, finishing my degree. And then I asked uh, Richie, as, as I'm from Wigan, uh, local team, could I, could I go and do a, a placement there at Wigan? Um, so I got a placement in at Wigan. Um, seemed to do quite well, I would have thought, or certainly seemed to have impressed. And then Richie kindly offered me a job when a job became available full-time. So I started off with the youth team at Wigan. Um, we didn't have necessarily the support with the youth team. There was just the coach, David Watson, and myself as the physio. That, that was kind of it. So a bit similar to Richie, how he explained his role at Swansea, you know, you kind of ended up being the dog's body for everything for that team, um, doing the warm-ups, doing the conditioning, doing the rehab, um, taking players everywhere. And then we had a, a reserve team squad as well. Uh, and they asked me if I could get involved with the reserve team squad. So it was quite pretty full on, um, kind of my first role full time, but it was excellent. The amount I learned at the time was was fantastic and working under Richie and and the coaching staff were very patient and, and kind of gave me that football experience as well um, in that environment, which, which was fantastic. And we had a, a reasonable successful season in terms of getting a couple of players through and, and results with the reserves and the youth team. And um, the manager, Roberto, pulled me into his office and, and Richard did and said, how do you fancy working with the first team? Um, so I got promoted into that role and then I was in that role then for six seasons. So I had two seasons with the youth team uh, and six seasons working with the first team. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was a very good, um, very good learning curve and, and kind of progressed my way up through the club at Wigan. Uh, when Roberto left, we then had another form. I worked under another four managers uh, after the four successive seasons and the last two seasons as, as head physio at the club. Um, so I've seen quite a big change in terms of working I was very fortunate to go in when the club was in the Premier League uh, all, and then we kind of worked our way down to Championship League 1 back up to Championship um, so yeah it was, it was excellent experience it was very good and then from then I've uh, moved into a lecturing role at UCLan University so I lecture on the sports medicine degree and I've also um, working at Manchester United Manchester United part-time uh, doing the rehab clinic and then also uh, covering games with the academy. And it's been quite interesting, really, because it's kind of come come back on itself, working with kind of the youth team, then with senior players with the first team, and now with uh, the youngsters, all 9s uh, to 16s at United. And um, they're quite a different population, 
the adolescent population in terms of injuries that they get, communication you need to use with them players, considering parents, safeguarding, um, and the coaching staff as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it's um, it's definitely broadened my skills, um, the position that I'm in at the moment. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been good, been interesting, and uh, continuing to uh, carry on the path where it'll lead, nobody knows, but... Just, uh, yeah, just keep learning and I'm trying to broaden my experiences and uh, keep developing. And that's one thing I was going to ask yourself also about that transition from full-time football to, to part-time, but the lecturing side as well. So how have you found that and what's been um, some big big differences? Um, in terms of differences, it, it's, I mean, football's all about results and pres- like a pressured type of, uh, of industry. There is still that pressure at academic level, but it's more about meeting deadlines and standard of work being uh, standard of work being acceptable at that level, uh, and trying to get as much engagement as you can from your students, trying to provide the best experience that they can do uh, that we can provide. Um, I think working in football and now working my academic studies with uh, working in football part-time, it's good to give students case study-based scenarios that are real life that I can put on and and kind of get them to discuss situations, uh, presentations of players, uh, you know, what what would you do within this stage of rehab? Uh, How would you manage the coach in this situation? and another thing it's done as well is it's made me um, go back to basics in terms of really understanding fundamentals of anatomy, uh, pathology, rehabilitation, um, fitness principles, and then building up on that as well, and also linking to research papers that are, you know that that kind of underpin our modules and our curriculum, and then also guiding our research as well with our students that were um, that that we're working with. And Richard, we didn't get on to your... Um, obviously, you both had time at Wigan together, which we're going to come back to in a little bit because we'll dive into some of the, the work that you guys did at Wigan. But just skipping on to your current role, do you want to just give us a little breakdown about... Um, we, we just had a little laugh about your title, but what does it involve? Well, I better fast forward first, and I? Basically, I was uh, left at Swansea City then, wasn't I? So I, uh, another five years after I started, uh, I basically went to, I undertook, I went on, I took it in my own initiative to do the uh, the physiotherapy degree, degree as well, because at Swansea at the time, we were still getting injuries. So I wanted to understand the injury mechanism a little bit more, so I thought the physiotherapy degree would give me that uh, opportunity to do that and go back with a better knowledge uh, of, of the player, and the, uh, obviously from a physical point of view and a medical point of view. And uh, during that period after the physiotherapy degree, the players were still coming in and getting injured. So I basically reversed the, the role and concentrated more on the, on the physical uh, side of things and basically thought that you know fit players don't get injured. And we worked closely, and that's where most of Roberto Martinez uh, comes into the scene then in, in 2003. Uh, he brought the professionalism in, into the club as a player. Uh, and I was able then to understand more of how physiotherapy and sports science marry well together to help the player develop into you know, the physical demands of, uh, of professional football, <laughs> how, how to uh, get through 90 minutes at the best they possibly can uh, achieve, really. So um, then obviously then I ended up with uh, Wigan and through to Everton and then Roberto gets the job at Belgium. So 
the journey's been um, over a long period of time, but it's been a very valuable one in terms of learning and meeting uh, people from different departments with different disciplines. Uh, but to end up uh, with Team Belgium uh, and obviously working uh, towards a tournament uh, like the World Cup, which we uh, which we did very well in in, in 2018, it's been an, uh, an amazing experience. Really. And some you know highlights along the way, you obviously champion championships, uh, going to a tournament in the World Cup, and obviously FA Cup final with uh, Wigan, which was. Uh, really momentous. And I think that's what we all work for. You know, we, we work ultimately to help the players be the best they possibly can. And then obviously we work for those moments as well to be involved with, you know, they're, they're priceless. Yeah, definitely. And I, I was going to ask as well, in terms of your um, transition into international football now, what are some differences or, or differences in challenges that you face in, in terms of working in, with the international players um, against working full time in, in the what was Premier League and well at Wigan and all the, all the clubs. Well, it's a, a completely different demand. Obviously, we've got a squad of forty players that we you know keep a constant eye on, and obviously they come from uh, eight different leagues across the world. Um, so obviously, communication is the the key point there. Is basically trying to understand the players, trying to understand the the roles and that they've given at their clubs. Try to communicate with the clubs as much as you can, because obviously, we're lending their players for five times during the season. Uh, we need to know as much about their players as possible, because it all stemmed from our frustrations when we were working at uh, Wigan and Everton. Our international players would go away on international duty. And we wouldn't know what they were doing from the moment they left us after the Premier League game on the, on the Saturday or the Sunday to when they come back the following Wednesday, Thursday. You know, we had no idea of intensities that they were undertaking, what travel, what nutrition. There was no information at all. So when I first started the Belgium, that was one of the clearest things that uh, I had in my mind that we had to bridge is that gap between club and country because obviously in the press and managers come out and say they're not happy with the, the way the internationals have been treating our players. So I try to you know, create a clarity between club and country and I feel as if I've achieved that very well because now I've got a great collaboration with the majority of the, the clubs all across the world. I've been able to go and visit uh, each training ground, uh, meet the staff behind the player, meet the environment behind the player. So what type of... Uh, equipment they use, what type of training method. Everyone trains in a totally different way. You know, there's no one uh, size that fits all. It's basically uh, uh, each manager has got their different uh, philosophy and basically marrying all those players into Roberto Martinez way at the Belgian national team. So it's it's been a, a great transition from club to country. It's been, uh, obviously, we get less time with the players, but in between we get more time to, to plan the camps that we have. And I wanted to ask you both, because looking from the outside, and obviously a lot of people will know about Roberto Martinez and his, and his style of play, his philosophy, but working very closely with him that you both have, what have been some biggest takeaways from whether it's as a person or as a coach? And Russ, we'll start with yourself and then we'll move on to Richard. Yeah, I mean, Richard's worked with um, Roberto for, for a much longer period than myself, but one one of the refreshing things um, I found working with him that he, his knowledge, his physical knowledge in terms of because he does have a physiotherapy degree uh, in terms of you can have good conversations with him, good clinical conversations, 
he's well aware of what preparations players need to make physically for games. He understands the rehab process. And if you had a long-term injured player and, um, you know, we was kind of having our MDT meetings and feeding back and, and kind of planning when players would be returning, he was quite open to um, conversations that you could have with him. Um, and in terms of integrating players back into training, he, he would listen to um, what we was asking for in terms of integrating players, say after a hamstring injury, um, they would kind of go through the rehab phase and they would go through the return to play phase with, with Richard. And then they would kind of get integrated into training. And, and Richard will probably talk a bit more about this later on uh, in terms of planning training for individually for that player returning back with, with a, a game in mind for what they wanted. Um, he didn't micro or he, he never micromanaged. He, he made it clear what he wanted from us in terms of expectations, and it was up to us to uh, to get on with things really and, and deliver um, in terms of what he was asking for. I think from my experience, because Roberto was my first uh, manager at you know a, a senior professional level, um, I probably didn't realise at the time in terms of that collaboration work that we had with the manager until he left. Uh, and then we, we worked under other managers who have different philosophies, different ways of working. Uh, and I can truly say that Roberto w- was the best manager that I worked for in, in terms of from the from a physio point of view, in terms of relaying information um, with that. And, and the way that we collaborated together was very well. Um, and I'm sure Richard will probably give us a bit more detail because Richard worked with him closer. Well, I go back 17 years ago when he came to us at Swansea City in 2003 to help us stay in the league at the time. And uh, I did the medical on him and I went back to my wife. I'd been in football since leaving school. And I basically said to her then, I said, you know, I met someone today. He's completely different. I don't know why he's different, but he's different in the way that um, uh, he speaks about the game, his passion for the game, his knowledge of uh, the tactics behind the game, and this was like on initial uh, medical that we, we did on him. I said he's completely different, and he tur- he's turned out to be that person. Really, his his charisma, his personality lit up Swansea City. Uh, his professionalism brought the most uh, out of the players that he was playing with at, at the time, um, and he basically put Swansea on an upward curve as a player, and then went to come back as a manager. All those principles that he had. Um, he instilled in in the squads that he worked with, and his basic premise was: How can we make the be- the the player better? How can we make the individual perform at a better uh, performance than what he did the, in the previous? So we were always searching to make you know the training uh, more effective, uh, understanding the individual through data, through uh, subjective, objective. How can we? make the most of that player? How can we make him better? How can we fit him into Roberto's tactics uh, on, a, on a Saturday afternoon to make the team better? So it was always every aspect, technical, tactical, physical, and also mental, were all worked on on every single player, really. So it's, it was always a player-centred uh, approach. And then obviously the team then you know came together uh, through the week and then performed on a Saturday afternoon. And I know you've probably touched on this a little bit already, but and you, and you can sort of repeat what you've possibly said previously and add anything to it. Um, and we'll start with you, yourself, Richard. But I like always like to ask, in terms of a, a well-functioning department, a department where people can have views and opinions, things can be questioned, and hopefully we get results at the end of it as well. What do you see as some key principles within that department? 
I think it has to be an understanding of, of everybody's roles. And, and as I said, I had to do a sports science degree. I had to do a physiotherapy degree because I needed to un- understand the both disciplines. I was working on my own, basically. So then when you get put into those departments, you understand the, uh, the intricacies of those disciplines and how, when they do work well together, when they do come together, how effective it, it, it can be. But as I said, when it... When it when it breaks down, it can be can become quite detrimental because basically you've got people with different opinions, different backgrounds, different uh, ways of uh, of working. But I think if you're as one, you've got a common goal, and you all want to work together. You all appreciate each other's disciplines. You're positive. Um, that can only benefit the the player in the in the long run. The player needs to see a positive approach from from everybody saying the same thing, you know, repeatedly. You can't have people uh, under, undermining a certain opinion, a certain way of doing something. You have to have uh, a group of people that have got a common goal that want to be- make the best out of, a, out of a player. And Ross, what about yourself? Is it similar? Um, are you going to echo the same sort of thoughts or is there anything extra you can think of in terms of a, a well-functioning department? I just think we, we collaborated uh, very well in terms of communication pathways that we had. Um, was key in terms of our message that we was telling, to, uh, communicating with players and to the coaching staff um, was key and making sure that we're delivering the same message. Um, I think one thing that we did have working at Wigan was that we always knew it was going to be in a relegation fight and we, we seemed to work comfortably uh, with that pressure and we knew what the season would entail and, and coming towards the end of the season, we know that every player needed to be available. And the fact that seasons seem to replicate themselves season after season, you know, we, we, we tend to start off okay, then we'd have a dip in form, Christmas period would be over and then we'd go on an exceptional run towards the end of the season and, and um, survive in the Premier League. Um, so we, we, seem to, um, we seem to be comfortable in terms of working that way and obviously wanting to improve. We did, like Richard spoke on before, we did have that individual um, individual approach with players. And I think also like in the afternoons, so we'd, we'd work with the team and players during the day and after lunchtime. And then in the afternoons, we'd be doing our notes and reviewing data. And we had quite an open office in terms of, you know, reflective, coming into reflective practice. We'd recognise what was working well and what wasn't working well or what players needed to be topped up. And we'd have them discussions and then, um, you know, we, we would put an action plan in place and we, we would physically work with them players one-to-one or however we needed to change things, uh, you know, within our, our working days. And then we kind of reflect on it again and see if it improved. And, you know, and it was a continuous cycle, really, of trying to get better, trying to improve performance of individuals. And I know we can go into some detail now on a, on a specific case study that you both you both worked um, and were part of and with a, a really, I know Richard um, talked about one of the biggest successes in your career being the, the FA Cup victory and um, it, this involves the, the goal scorer in the cup final. So do you want to just give us a little bit of background, Richard, to start with? Um, we're talking about Ben Watson, we're talking about he, he got injured in the season. So do you want to start on the injury and then the sort of process and, sort of, and tie in as well how the department works so well together? Yeah, so it all stems from a uh, meeting myself and Russ had uh, a couple of years ago. I was asked to do a talk about you know, the culture of uh, the team behind the team. 
Um, and I didn't realize up until the point that myself and Russ met that I said, well, maybe we should, you know, I'd be able to talk about Ben Watson. What do you think? Because I said, basically, we took him from, you know, the, uh, the broken leg at Anfield right, right the way through. And I said, what were, the, what were the intricacies of how we all worked together? And then obviously, Russ went away and he put a presentation together. And then when we all sat down together again to, to look at what he presented, it was, wow, that was amazing. So it's only a reflection that we had, you know, we had seven members of staff between 53 players. Um, we had a great, you know, meetings every single morning. We discussed every protocol for every single player that was, uh, that, that needed. And Ben obviously came into the forefront because obviously we had a small squad. Uh, he got injured against Liverpool in November. So you start, you know, immediately thinking, Will he make the the end of the season? Obviously, my experience is at Swansea maximising every single player for every single minute, minute that they could possibly con- contribute. I thought, well, there's six months left of the season. So this puts Ben on the verge of: Do we, you know, say that's the end of your season, Ben, or do we just see if we can actually get him to compete in one of the games? It might make it might make a difference. Um, so I run on the pitch, obviously. Um, uh, Raheem Sterling clashes into to Ben midair, and I was thinking at the time mechanism of injury shouldn't be too bad, so I ran on. So after about a minute and a half, the pain didn't go away, so I ended up stretching uh, Ben off. Uh, he goes straight down to uh, Liverpool uh, Royal Infirmary and he gets diagnosed with a you know, transverse fracture of the uh, the right tibia. And we're thinking, as I said, wow, we're going to lose a very influential player. So I'm sure Russ now can uh, take us through. Uh, obviously, the decision was basically no. We'll just keep on working with Ben until you know, un- until either the season peters out or we can get him back on the pitch. Obviously, professionally, six months is going to be touch and go. So we went on a positive approach with Ben. Ben was quite happy to go through it as well. We treated every single day like a like a first team player. But obviously he's limited in, in terms of what he could do because of the injury. So we still give him the same rhythm of the week Mon- you know, for a traditional training method. So Monday was like a, a second day recovery. Tuesday was high intensity. So we went through that week with him with what he could manage. Um, so we went obviously through the acute phases, which I'm sure Russell, Russell will look forward to uh, divulging now. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far with Russell and Richard. I think there's some great information in this one. I just wanted to give a couple of updates on our online community. So I'm just in the process as releasing this podcast of uploading the video version of episode 81 with the assistant sports scientist at Preston North End, Luke Hemmings. So that episode is available on Spotify and iTunes, but will also be available to watch on our online community as well. And then I have just been sent, I said over the last few weeks that we've got some really exciting webinars coming up and I've literally opened my inbox this morning and the latest one has arrived. So Will Abbott from Brighton and Hove Albion, I'm sure many people will know of Will's work and if you don't, go and check him out because he releases some awesome work. He has sent over a webinar um, on using research to inform applied practice 
So this webinar will be uploaded to our community very soon and I will release an update when it is available. Um, I've watched it this morning and as always with Will, there's some top class information in this webinar. So I'm really excited to get it onto the community and get it released to join all the other webinars we've got on there, including um, our latest one that we uploaded, which was from Hamish Munro, Velocity-Based Training in Professional Football. So you can go and check out all the webinars, including all of our network meeting presentations at our online community, which if you go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top and then sign up there. That will give you one free month on the community. And then if you um, stay on the a community member, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. Um, and that gives you all access to future webinars. And when our network meetings are able to kick back in, you will get access to all our network meeting presentations going forward as well. But there, there are 10 network meeting presentations available right now on the community. So go and check it out if you're not already a member www.footballfitfed.com click the community tab sign up there get yourself a free month and go and check out all the awesome content here is part two of the episode with russ and richard yeah so initially it was it was kind of management do we go for conservative management or do we need to uh have a medulla rod put in uh to the tibia and, and with the position of the fracture and it being a transverse fracture um the consultant recommended that we could manage this conservatively. Um, so we, it was put in plaster of Paris on minimal weight bearing just to compress the fracture site a little bit. And uh, we had a discussion with the strength and conditioning coach at the time, so Gareth Piper, and uh, looked at some research about cross-education muscle activation. So we, we started doing a lot of strengthening work on his, on his good leg, uh, hoping that he'll develop neural pathways into his injured leg and, and try and maintain some form of muscular function out of, of that leg. So that was when we was at a period we could work that leg, his, his muscle, um, muscle hypertrophy and function and proprioception would come back much quicker. Um, so we kind of went through a four-week programme of, of doing some heavy strengthening work on, it, on, his, on his good leg. Um, and then we were very keen to get him out of the cast as soon as we could do. We didn't want to be unsafe, but we also didn't want to lose ankle range of movement, particularly dorsiflexion being in the plaster of Paris. Um, so our, our cons consultations, we, we were kind of trying to persuade them to put him in an aircast boot so we could remove, do some ankle molds, maintain ankle dorsiflexion, uh, and then also do some soft tissue work because we didn't want the callus formation to interfere with any kind of soft tissue structures, you know, particularly soleus, plantaris, gastroc, et cetera. Uh, and then also his um, dorsiflexors at the front of the shin. So our soft tissue therapist um, would work with him. So we'd take him out of the boot. We'd do some good soft tissue work, some treatment on his leg. He'd go back into the boot. Um, and then we would start trying to load um, safely the um, the fracture site to compress the fracture site to make it a, a stronger callus formation in there so when it mineralized and going through remodeling phases it was, it was as strong as it could be when we was able to come out of the boot we then looked at trying to increase proprioception get his gait to uh, be normal so you know just doing very basic like marching type drills over hurdles doing static balance and dynamic type balance and then strengthening his injured leg to get make sure all his major muscle groups are working, you know, eccentric, eccentrically, concentrically, isometrically. 
and then progressing out to them acute and subacute phases then uh, into kind of his looking at his return to play strategy in terms of managing his gym rehab and then also trying to get him out on the grass. Um, so we did get him out on the grass at, at the safe time and we noticed he had quite um, a reasonable antalgic gait when he was running. Um, so Richie pulled him in when because uh, he could kind of it was it was always good to have different eyes you know I'd, I'd take Ben on some occasions Richie would take him on other occasions Gaz the SNC coach would take him on some occasions so you know different sets of eyes on the player we could always feed back to each other and kind of express what we thought where we was going and any concerns that we had so um, so you pulled him in Richie didn't you and uh, yeah I wasn't happy with his uh, progress because obviously he still had this visible limp and everybody's uh, around the train ground uh, was saying. Well, Ben's limping. What's he doing outside? Like so, we bring him in. We put him on the treadmill, and we just look at at his gait. Obviously, there was no three D analysis uh, in those days, or afforded to Wigan Athletics. So we basically uh, use our eyes, and we can see that his, his obviously hip hitch. Um, we can see that obviously the the limp was quite evident. So we actually put him on the bed as well and looked uh, at leg length, and we said he had, he had a functional leg length uh, discrepancy which I got a bit worried about because I thought it was from the fracture side, but I was thinking it can't be a fracture side because it, uh, it was a stable fracture. So we looked at obviously the tissues in around the hip and obviously because he'd been on crutches, he had this uh, flexion uh, deformity that he developed by being on the crutches. So we did, Alison Haslam then did a load of uh, soft tissue work on released all the tissues. So then we started to be able to go back into the re-education of uh, his movement again, and obviously the limp started to disappear slowly over time. So that was a that was a, a breakthrough for us really because it was preventing him from pushing on. So then we basically give him more CV work, give him more uh, functional and position position specific exercises on the on the training ground. Uh, but then he still had, you know, he still couldn't be able to absorb ground ground uh, ground forces, ground reaction forces. So we worked a lot of single leg work with obviously with Gaz Piper. Um, they work heavily in the uh, on the strength and the power of uh, the right leg. And then you could see that he was uh, tolerating pretty much everything. Then so it was a matter of how do we release him? Uh, our return to play protocol was uh, a basic jump mat. Um, we wanted him to jump off uh, his his injured leg as, as well as uh, the the non-injured basically. And he, at first, when we tested, it was a 40 percent difference. So we had this ongoing weekly test with with Ben through the latter stages of his rehabilitation. And we wouldn't really release him until he got to five percent. So there was more back in the gym, back on the training ground, uh, reinforcing the exercises that were starting to work. And then he got to the, the stage then where, where he got to 5%, jumping off his right foot, exactly the same as the left. So uh, I was happy then to let him play in a, in a reserve game, and a 21 game at Wigan. I think uh, everybody had their reservations, but I stood strong. I was happy with his, uh, his overall fitness and his preparation and the, uh, every, every, every effort that everybody put into him. And he came through the, the half, given 45 minutes, because we put him billing up to 45, 60. Uh, we were running out of games. Obviously, we were bottom of the uh, Premier League at the time. Um, and Ben actually played um, against West Brom as his first game with only three, three weeks left of the season. 
So it was a, an amazing opportunity to get him back in and feature. Um, we were still holding a head above water. Um, he played in the 3-2 win against West Brom, which gave us hope uh, that we could stay in the league. But there also our, in the meantime, our FA Cup run was getting longer and longer and longer, end up in the semi-finals against Hull. Uh, and then into the final against Man City. Amazing uh, journey for us already. And then obviously Ben coming off the bench uh, to score the winning goal in the FA Cup final, jumping off his uh, right foot to head the goal in off the corner was an amazing end to a, um, a rehabilitation pro process that identified every single discipline uh, that we had and the input that everybody gave him was all came out in that in in that one movement obviously you're not saying that we we won the FA Cup but obviously the tactics and the uh, and Ben's desire and will to to get back on the on the pitch again was was phenomenal and to score the goal in that manner that he did was just uh, an amazing amazing feeling yeah so just going back to um kind of the jumping that Ben was doing it was ironic that he did, he ended up jumping off his injured leg um, to score the goal but the amount of jumps that we did as part of his rehab the main thing at first was his, his movement his kind of um, kinesthetic movement of jumping was all over the place he couldn't triple extend properly so we got him in the gym we started doing some triple extension exercises uh, then kind of single leg triple extension exercises and then working through his rate of force development working through plyometric training and, and kind of his principles of plyometric training um, and then developing that then not only into jumping, but sprinting. So doing his sledge runs um, and then also being able to de decelerate and accept load and change direction. Um, so we did quite a few agility drills with him and then kind of perturbation, knocking him off balance, changing direction. Um, so it was mainly between uh, myself and Richie towards right at the end in terms of rehab that we were doing in dipping into training and then doing his conditioning. Um, with Richie and managing his training load and we weren't blessed with resources our jump mat was our friend wasn't it Richie so we uh, <laughs> single leg counter movement jump was our main um, was our main outcome measure for him we did use the IKD but right at the end at Bolton University so we had a we had an agreement with Bolton University that we would take students uh, for placements as long as we could have access to the um to their performance lab, which had an IKD. With Ben having a tibial fracture and, and it kind of being conservative management, we didn't want to use that earlier on because of open chain exercises, putting stress on the fracture site. So we only used it really right at the end. But yeah, like Richard said, our main outcome measure was the jump test really. Uh, and and it, proved, it proved well for us, um, as well as, you know, measuring muscle girth, et cetera. But yeah, the jump test was the main one, getting within that 5%. Was was definitely the key um, for his return. And I know, I know you said um, Richard about when he first got injured, it was going to be hard to see like when the return date was. And I know with an injury, it's always a tough one to give a, a specific date. But as as that competition is going on, and you're seeing the winning games in the FA Cup and getting to crunch time in the season, what was it like managing him? Because he's obviously going to have big aspirations to step back into a game, especially when you get to a final. Um, how was it managing the player as well? Well, I think uh, 
we never really thought we were going to go to the FA Cup final anyway. I think we were more concerned about staying in the, in the league. Uh, and it was all about, uh, obviously, trying again to obviously take part in possibly the, the, the last couple of league games and, and maybe affect the last couple of league games to stay in the league. So it was never an emphasis on getting back to, to play in any specific game at all. It was just basically, can we get him to play? Uh, and to be fair to him, he stuck by it. He could have easily said, "Look, I'm not going to make this season, and 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 you know, I'm going to get back to the last game of the season. What's the point?" But with Ben, you know, he uh, worked solid through those six months. Really, we had to give him a couple of uh, a weeks off, obviously, because the monotony and seeing the lads playing week in week out was quite frustrating. And it also gave us uh, an opportunity to send send them away to some sunshine, and because uh, there's not much sun up northwest, is there? Obviously. So he, um, he went abroad and obviously got the vitamin D that he needed uh, to help the obviously, uh, uh, bone formation, which was, uh, uh, and it gave, a, gave him a good chance to obviously recover from some of the sessions that we were working with him, really, and mentally and physically, you know, shut down to come back stronger again. So they worked really well in, 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 in his phase of uh, rehabilitation. I think quite a, a key question for a lot of, a lot of the listeners, uh, S&C sports scientists, that seems to be the majority of our listeners, would be that this sort of end-stage rehab, you touched on before where you started incorporating some position-specific um, drills and, and that's obviously when he's going to be getting back in with the team as well. So what did that look like? Well, because of obviously pro zone and analysis at the, at the time, we could basically break down some of the the functional movements that Ben would uh, create in the game. And you know, midfield players will have a typical pattern. You know, Ben we knew would uh, perform around sixty to eighty passes per game. Um, he had a good aerobic capacity. He would cover eleven and a half to twelve uh, k per game. Um, his he wasn't the fastest. But uh, obviously, his, uh, his, his mental uh, understanding of the game put him into some great positions. So we looked at those movement patterns specifically that tried to replicate exactly what we would do so that we had more confidence about going from the training ground and back into a game. So we kept on, you know, if it was 40%, 50%, 50 60% intensity, it was still going through those movement patterns, even though it wasn't uh, uh, fine-tuned, it wasn't uh, with a good acceleration or deceleration, it was just basically movement patterns. So it wasn't flat out, it wasn't going to overload the, the area at all, it was purely just to get that thinking process again, the whole body working and thinking at the same same time and getting those processes working together. And we're also... Think as well... Sorry, mate, go on. Um, like Richard touched on it in terms of the movement patterns. Um, what we often do is set out a lot, a lot of poles in kind of a, um, a track that he would cover in a game. So whether, you know, it were forwards, backwards, sideways, then a spin off his left shoulder and an acceleration. And we'd, we'd incorporate that as part of his aerobic, you know, he was working for 15 seconds on his aerobic capacity he would do his 15 seconds, but following that movement pattern. So he was getting used to kind of accelerating, decelerating, turning off his shoulder, um, and just getting familiar with, with his body movement, really, in particular, rather than just keeping everything and all his conditioning straight line, um, which seemed to work, you know, which seemed to work well. And then bringing in players, so he would have to react off, you know, a physical stimulus of a defender being or an opponent being around him or receiving the ball in a certain way. And his integration into training as a, as a floating player, 
uh, and then building into his, you know, passing drills and possession games. It wasn't, you know, it was then back to being second nature to him. It wasn't wasn't a new experience to him really. And then what about any other challenges along the way? You've obviously said about where Richard wasn't happy in terms of his gait, in terms of his movement. Was there, was there anything else that you guys came across that you had to tackle? I think that was the main main one, really. I think, um, as I said, it, it got to a point where he wasn't progressing and without the limp. And it was basically stripping him back down again and understanding where that limp was actually coming from. And obviously by us all standing there watching him and coming up with a, you know, a, a formula and understanding of why he, he had that limp. Um, it basically furthered our knowledge in, in the area and we had to put more input into uh, the exercises specific to obviously releasing the tissues, lengthening the tissues, strengthening the tissues. Um, so that, well, that was the main thing. And obviously Ben's determination to get back as well was a, you know, the player... Uh, buy-in as they call it into what we were trying to do and what we were trying to achieve was you know that that goes a long way as well he's a great uh, person to work with I think psychologically as well you know going back into challenging for a ball and and being tackled and, and being nudged um, we tried to introduce it as quickly as we could do but in this safe you know safe environment that we could do um, so first of all it was just kind of in tackling, you know, a static medicine ball, can you just slowly and gently tap the medicine ball so you're getting that feedback uh, into your leg and then just progressing from there, you know, tackling against uh, myself or because I was a defender back in my day when I was a kid. So, <laughs> but then also, uh, <laughs> but then also him, you know, getting used to, to tackling, being tackled, you know, jumping, you know, we've spoken a lot about jumping, but um, you know, get getting challenged in the aerial challenge and, and being able to land and then push off from that and developing his confidence um, within that. And then when he went back into training, intensity of training and, and being nudged and being taken off balance and, and tackling, it, it wasn't a big, you know, it wasn't as big a step up for him to uh, to move into that. It was a, it was a natural um, progression of his rehab to move into them scenarios, really, of that unpredictability and, being able to uh, to withstand it and and react um, to different situations. I think there was more apprehension on our behalf uh, when he first went into a tackle in the game than uh, than what he had anyway. He, he certainly didn't show any uh, signs of flinching or pulling out of a tackle at all. It was uh, more from uh, our you know watching through uh, through your fingers basically. Uh, so no, he was he never really had anything other than obviously that antalgic gate that we picked up on. But it was that's it, great to work with. And just in terms of practitioners, obviously, when a player gets injured like that, you, you've probably always got in mind that that first game back is going to be a real, like you're going to, you're going to get a, a good feeling of the player getting back on the pitch and doing what they love. But he's not only done that, but like Russ has touched on, he's basically used the, one of the, the monitoring tests to score the winning goal in the cup final. So just to reflect on, on you guys as practitioners, like that must have been one hell of a feeling for you both. No, I was actually looking at the, uh, the presentation and uh, there's a clip at the end of uh, the game where he gets interviewed about, obviously, Ben Watson, you had a broken leg. And then he goes on to describe how uh, grateful he was to the people that he worked uh, around over those six months. And they were dark and they were, 
they were fraught with you know, frustration, but uh, you know, it's, this is dreams come true. So that encapsulates that end of the uh, that interview. Encapsulates everything. It was not one person that was mentioned. It was basically a group of people that were the people behind him. You know, obviously creating one of the best moments in his playing career. Really, I think from a phys- from from my physio point of view, I used to get a lot of enjoyment through players returning back to play quicker. Or, or giving them the opportunity to come back a little bit quicker. Um, and then also saving players' careers, you know, not losing um, players to a serious injury. So them two situations both occurred, at, you know, probably, well, certainly in my career, the biggest platform in my career. Um, so, yeah, it was an amazing um, it was an amazing feeling, but also knowing that we kind of, as a department, we, we come well together and, uh, you know, collabor- collaboratively. Um, you know, it paid off. And like Richard said at the beginning of the case study, really, I think it was only when we kind of sat down and reflected on it when when we were doing a presentation on it later on, uh, how things came together and and, and we probably did well. And and I link back to when when he was asking me what comes to a functional department, you know, having good communication and reflective practice uh, and and making sure you're heading in the right direction. Uh, is key really and, and that was very evident with Ben's um, throughout Ben's injury I think it's, this has been amazing because we've spoke a hell of a lot in a lot of episodes about communication about effective departments but this has been a real with the case study it's been a real great a, amazing insight into how you guys have worked and how, how the whole teams work together and with, with an unbelievable outcome as well so Lads, I'm not going to take up any more of your evening. I really, really do appreciate you coming on. A big thank you for both of you for coming on. But is there anywhere, anywhere if, if anyone's got any questions, can they reach out or is there anywhere that they can do that? Well, I'm on uh, Twitter. Um, so I'm at FizEvs. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm happy to... Uh, discuss anything uh, on there I'm hopefully of of an age with lots of experience and I'm more than happy to to share or discuss any topic at all uh, regarding football so no I'm uh, happy to be contacted anyway What about yourself Russ? Yeah myself yeah my Twitter is at Russ underscore Hitchin Um, so yeah either send me uh, a tweet through that or if you're interested in terms of, you know, from the education point of view, we do have some web- webinars, uh, some online presentations, and we run some CPD courses as well. So my email f- um, for the uni is rhitchin at uclan.ac.uk. Awesome. Well, I do really appreciate you coming on. Big thank you for giving up your time, and uh, we'll hopefully catch up soon. Cheers, yeah, Thank you very much. Thanks, lads. Huge thank you to the lads for coming on. It was really great for him to give up give up some time and come on the podcast and discuss the full journey of um, both themselves as practitioners, but then also diving into the case study on Ben Watson. I'm sure a lot of people would have um, been aware of the sort of situation around that cup final victory, but not probably not so much on his individual journey in terms of coming back from injury and scoring the winner. Um, but not only that, taking off that injured leg to to score the header from the corner as well. So I think it was amazing to chat with the lads and talk through the whole journey. Um, there was some huge takeaways and some real practical 
um, examples of some things that we've spoke about in, in recent episodes in terms of a, a well-functioning department, how well that worked together, the different phases of rehab, um, and then also some of the challenges that they faced along the way. So that was some of the main stuff for me. I think also tying in with um, the, the buy-in from Roberto Martinez, the, the head coach or the manager, which the lads talked about being key, but also his knowledge. So they, they spoke about, I think they said about him having a sports science degree. I might be wrong with that, but he, he has um, he's very knowledgeable in the area of sports science, which obviously helped the lads when they were trying to explain the different processes. Um, I think that the examples of some real life team cohesion in terms of the backroom staff, um, the, I know the lads mentioned not just themselves, but also um, the strength and conditioning coach, Gaz Piper as well, uh, along with many others, I'm sure, along the way, including Ben Watson in the process, all led to the fact that um, getting that result in the final and getting that result of getting Ben back on the pitch as well. And then the, hitting the crossroads, I, I've, I've made a note of hitting crossroads in the rehab programme. And by that, I, I was referring to when Richard was talking about Things just not going quite as smoothly. He saw the challenges in, in Ben's gait and, and having to reassess it and probably take a, a sideways step to take a forward step. And and that is a lot of the way in terms of rehab. It doesn't always go that smoothly. We have to constantly be reassessing and be brave as well. I think that's something that came across for me. Richard was brave enough to step up and say, yeah, I'm not happy with this. Um, we need to put something in place to getting back onto the pitch but not only getting back onto the pitch but getting back onto the pitch and be able to perform at the highest level and um, I don't think there's too many stories out there when it'll it'll work so well that a player comes on in the final of the FA Cup and takes off that injured leg and, and scores the winner with seconds remaining so it was an amazing story especially with me as a Wigan fan you could probably tell that it excites me talking about it again and uh, like I said at the start of the episode a complete fluke of timing that as this episode gets released it is seven years to the day that Wigan did win the FA Cup so not planned I could try and blag that it was but it definitely wasn't but I do really appreciate the lads giving up their time and coming on to talk through the whole story you can go and give him a follow so Richard is on Twitter at PhysEvs so P-H-Y-S-E-V-S and then you can go and follow Russ as well he's at Russ underscore Hitchin on Twitter so go and give him a follow keep up to date with what they've got going on like I said at the start Richard is now involved with Belgium so we spoke a little bit off air when we finished recording some incredible talent that he's got access to there in that Belgium team and then Russell is now working in academy football so slightly different challenges but also lecturing as well which I know we touched on in the episode brings a few different challenges and and different skill sets involved so big thank you to the lads for coming on and please reach out let us know what you think of the episode and your biggest takeaways and share it with as many people as possible it'll be great to get this one out there to as many as we can huge thank you again for listening really do appreciate it and we'll be back later in the week with the second episode of the week